Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Girl, real talk. This whole it's a new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you, as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like start meditating at 5 a.m. to be ready for dating. So yeah, my advice is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Big box retailers led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a bill in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, visit handsoffmyrewards.com and tell them to oppose credit card routing legislation paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, now, like, kind of looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I've always been a kind of a angry person. <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't know. I thought I was, like, a patient person, um, at least a nice person, you know? When I thought about what I would be like as a dad, um, I very much imagined, uh, like, cool dad, right? Playful dad. You know, like, that's, like, the dad of TV commercials, Right. You know, but in in practice, in my experience, that's that wasn't what I was like. I'm Jordan Kissner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. Most of the parenting advice books ever written have been written by men for women, men telling mothers how to mother. There are fewer of those books by women and still fewer books by fathers investigating their own experience of parenting. Keith Gesson just published his own memoir of fatherhood called Raising Raffi, The First Five Years. Gesson finds fatherhood to be a series of tough confrontations with himself. He thought he'd be a fun, mellow dad. Turns out he's a worrying dad and then a yelling dad. Turns out his toddler makes him angry. 
Keith is Russian, and to his surprise, he wants Rafi, his son, to be interested in sports and to speak Russian, despite his mixed feelings about his home country and his hope that Rafi never goes to Russia. It's a funny, revealing dive into parenting. It's Gessen's third book. He's also written two novels, All the Sad Young Literary Men, and more recently, the novel A Terrible Country. He's a founder of N Plus One and a New Yorker contributor. We got to talk about his dive into the history of parenting advice books, his reckoning with the taboo of paternal anger, and his son's reaction to the memoir. Here's Keith. Like, why did I write this book, right? <laughs> and I can, I mean, I, but I, so I can answer that for myself, right? There's a kind of personal reason, like, I just found it so interesting when Rafi was, you know, especially... Um, when he became a little older, like I didn't, I didn't find him that interesting when he was an infant. Um, it, I definitely found it to be an interesting experience to, to, you know, and a, and a worrying and terrifying experience. Um, but also occasionally an interesting one. And then as he got older, there were all these choices that we had to make, um, that I found interesting and challenging and confusing. Um, and agonizing, right? And the, you know, and the first one was, do I speak Russian to him? Um, if I do that, where does that lead? Um, am I like burdening him with all this terrible stuff? Is he end up? Is he going to end up going to Russia? <laughs> um, which, you know, even when I was writing that essay, uh, you know, three or four years ago. Um, even then it was, you know, Russia wasn't, uh, doing that great and, and wasn't necessarily a place where you wanted your three-year-old to go. Um, and now of course it's definitely a place you don't want your seven-year-old to go. Um, so, so like, that's the kind of, um, reason that I wrote it, my, my kind of personal reason for writing it. Um, but, the but then I was, I was thinking like, okay, but what, what were the historical conditions? <laughs> <laughs> um, that uh, would lead a dude like me to write a book like this. In the very beginning, I I, I uh, had this funny conversation with my dad about um, my second grade teacher, who I adore, um, and have have you know um, kind of incredibly kept in touch with. Uh, many, many years um, after I graduated second grade. Um, actually, now 40 years. It was 40 years ago that I was in second grade. Um, and I had, uh, for one of these essays, I had actually uh, called her up to interview her about education. And then I had this conversation with my dad about it. And I said, guess who I, guess who I recently spoke with? Miss Lynch. And he said, who's that? And, and I said, my second grade teacher. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I don't remember her. I don't, I never met her. And I said, well, you, how, how is that possible? Surely you, you um, attended a parent teacher conference and met her. And he just laughed and he said, no, I was at work. And um, so I, I found that kind of amazing because, um, for me, like I go to all the parent-teacher conferences, they're they're an unmissable event <laughs> um, because I get so much information about my kid, and um, yeah, and for my dad, it was like he's like, no, I was at the office, like that's not what your mom did, that right, and that just struck me as really interesting, um, and I don't think my dad, uh, even though he was this Soviet immigrant who worked a lot, but like I don't think he was anomalous. Uh, for his generation, um, for, uh, you know, not going to the parent-teacher conferences. And I don't think I'm anomalous in my generation of, of parents, of dads, who do go to parent-teacher conferences. I certainly do know dads who, like, don't do that kind of thing, but I know a ton of dads who do. Um, you know, whether, you know, I know some dads who are, like, the main kind of, you know, pick-up, drop-off interface with the school, um, but... Uh, you know, because because their wives are kind of the, the high earner in the family, but um, you know, mo most families that we kind of know through 
our kids are, or and the kind of people that we like to hang out with, <laughs> are um, you know kind of two earner families um, uh, in which the dad um, you know tries to kind of do his fair share and um, you know is very involved um, with with uh, raising the kids. And I do think that's kind of new um, for dads. So, th- so that's kind of one condition of writing this book as being part of this. And I think of it as a kind of transitional generation. I still think there's a lot of um, inequality, including in my relationship, um, in my household. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, maybe someday in the future there will be total equality. Um, but I do think we've kind of moved, uh, you know, moved away or past the, the the kind of gender relationships that existed in our parents' generation. The other kind of, you know, the the other thing around it is, is, um, that has come up, you know, partly because I'm, I'm married to a writer, Emily Gould, um, who has written wonderfully about our kids and the experience of motherhood. Um, so I was in the situation where, you know, I was married to someone who uh, was a really good writer about our kids. <laughs> um, and, you know, so whose story then is this to tell? Um, and kind of looking at it more historically, there's kind of this wonderful, there's this uh, wonderful book by, um, writer named Anne Hulbert, uh, called Raising America, where she goes back. And it's one of those ideas where you're like, oh, how is it that no one has had this idea before? It's such a brilliant idea. Um, but she she goes and she goes back to the kind of, uh, beginning of the 20th century, end of the 19th century, and then reads um, and does these interesting kind of biographical uh, readings of all the most kind of influential and popular um, authors of parenting advice. Um, And one of the striking things um, about all these experts uh, is that they're all men. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and, and this, that's not the point of the book, but it's, it's one of the kind of aspects of the book. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's basically men addressing uh, women who are raising children. And so this is kind of in itself uh, a problematic situation. We would, we, we now know, (laughs) Um, you know, and one of, one of the really kind of, uh, it's, it's a brilliant book, but one of the, one of its brilliant observations is, um, in each that in each generation um, of kind of or each decade of, of parenting guru, um, there tend to be uh, you know the the two kind of there, there tend to be the, uh, there tends to be like a debate between the two uh, big parenting gurus in each generation, and one of them um, is always um, really hard, meaning he, you know he he said he tells mothers like. Don't coddle your child. Don't, um, you know, there, there was one guy who was a behavior, early behaviorist um, uh, uh, advice giver <laughs> um, who, you know, was like, mothers kiss their children too much. It's a problem. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it was that kind of, so that's, those are the hard ones. They're like, you need to like discipline your kids and like set clear limits with them. And then there was the soft advisor who's like, you know, you need to spend time with your kids. You need to uh, breastfeed your kids. You, duh, 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 like, you know, um, the, the most recent one is this guy, William Sears, who's a, um, uh, uh, he's the founder of the Attachment Parenting School. And he, you know, it's all, you know, breastfeed, uh, keep your kid on your body as much as possible. Um and so uh, each generation has these kind of, this, you know, a, a hard guy and a soft guy. And, you know, and, and like only, really only in the like last few years have you seen the emergence of um, like really kind of um, authoritative uh, female experts on, 
on various subjects uh, around, um, you know, whether it's sleep training. Um, there's a woman named Janet Kennedy who wrote a really good book on, on sleep training. I think it's called The, the Good Sleeper. Um, um, kind of the most famous, I would say, uh, up until like just a few years ago, like up until like two years ago, um, uh, parenting guru uh, was a woman named Emily Oster who um, is an economist and at Brown who, who wrote these three books. Um, but one the, the main one is, is uh, her first book um, in which she was like, you know, we're told all this stuff about, you know, pregnancy. The first one was about uh, pregnancy. Um, we're told all this stuff, like you shouldn't, you know, eat this and you shouldn't drink alcohol. Um, but uh, let's look at what the, actual studies like she actually just she's like i'm an economist i um you know can kind of think about these things from like that perspective but i can also um look at studies and tell you whether they were well designed whether they were poorly designed and um and i can kind of like adjudicate some of these debates and you know her kind of um you know, I think a, a very important contribution was basically she um, argued that, you know, the kind of prohibition or like the, the uh, disapproval on alcohol is on, on, on alcohol during pregnancy is, you know, counterproductive and pretty sexist. Um, so, so you have this, this kind of long male, uh, long history of like male advice literature only recently like changing. Um, and then you have this other literature that kind of exists alongside that, which is memoir literature about uh, parenthood. Um, and that is, you know, it, like as just as like um, the advice literature, the expert advice literature um, tends to be all male. Um, the kind of memoiristic literature tends to be all female. Um, and so that I guess that's the kind of like, um, historical background. And I feel like um, now we're in this moment of like just men, um, you know, for various reasons, right? Like this, you know, the structure of the workforce, like the structure of work itself. Like my dad um, had a job where he went to the office, you know, five days a week. Um, I have a job where I go to the office you know, two or three times a week, um, you know, all, for all these reasons, like, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's, <laughs> there's going to be kind of more, um, men writing, uh, sort of, um, you know, books about their experience as fathers, um, you know, as we, as, as time goes on, um, but I mean, mine is kind of an early one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I'm curious how you, wanted to situate yourself in the canon or I mean, maybe there isn't quite a canon of books like the one you've just written, but, um, how you, how you interact with the fact that a lot of the books on parenting have historically been men telling mothers how to parent, how did, like, I, don't, I guess I'm the question I'm trying to formulate has to do with like, how did you think about your masculinity as like a virtue or a vice or your maleness, I guess, as a virtue or a vice in this, in this history. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, but I mean, the book is definitely not, um, it's not an advice book. <laughs> right. <sure. laughs> right. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's, I think it's like, it's very much in the kind of memoir. Uh, uh, I mean, there's some like discussion of like research and whatnot, but it's like, um, it's, you know, it's like kind of my journey through um through parenting and the kind of dilemmas that i and we faced um as we did that you know for, like the, the kind of genesis of the book was this this essay on um on teaching rafi russian um you know that was something that i started writing when he was approaching three years old and um and you know i'd been i'd been sort of talking russian to him since he was an infant but like as he was getting close to three, he's just started having a, a really interesting reaction to it. Like he started noticing that I was doing that. Um, sometimes he liked it. Sometimes he didn't like it. Um, he noticed that I was speaking English to Emily um, and Russian to him. 
which is kind of amazing. Like, um, you know, obviously it had been going on for years, <laughs> but then one day he was like, Oh, wait, you're, you know, you speak Russian to me, but you speak English to mom. So you do speak English. Um, and I don't know. So there was just like all this interesting stuff. And then it made me kind of go and, and, you know, and do research about bilingualism and, um, which I found very interesting and, and also kind of like think about my own, you know, relationship to, to the Russian language and, and Russia and so on. Um, and that, and that first essay was just, it was, that was something that I was doing, um, that Emily was not doing. Um, and I don't know that it, I just found it very interesting. It, it kind of like the fact that, I, you know, if I had been a mom doing that, it would have been, you know, well, I would have done, a, I would have done a better job. <laughs> like moms, I, like, you know, it's, it's a uh, mom, like moms tend to, in the, in the bilingual uh, sphere, the, like, if you have a mom speaking the language and the dad doesn't speak it versus uh, our case where the dad speaks it and the mother does not, like the mothers tend to, like the kid tends to learn the language better if it's the mother, um, probably just because they spend more time with the mother um, or they like the mother, mother better. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So it was, it was this, uh, yeah, that like that didn't, that one didn't strike me as like a particularly gendered, uh, subject. Um, you know, and then, um, the next one I wrote was about schools. Um, that again was a kind of situation where, uh, we had just, uh, like during this period where, so, so when you, um, when you live in New York, the kind of entry point to the schools happens, um, in pre-K. And you can change schools after that, but like, you know, one would rather not. And like a lot of, you basically like, so, so pre-K is when kid is four. And so basically when the kid is three, you, you have to go and like you go on all these tours um, to like visit the schools that you might attend um, and, you know, decide whether, you know, whether you like them or um, whether, you know, and, and New York City makes you kind of make a list of your, makes you rank your schools and then they have an algorithm for assigning you um to them um anyway so when we were going through this um rafi was three and a half and Ilya, his brother was was six months and it was just and it, and like all these tours were like eight in the morning and anyway i was deputized um by emily to go to all these tours and, and like kind of report back um, so I ended up being the one who was like seeing all these schools and, and, and having all these kind of interesting experiences at the tours, um, and various kind of dilemmas about, um, you know, and, and kind of seeing some of these schools that were like in really bad shape and were losing enrollment and were highly segregated. And then seeing these, uh, you know, seeing other schools that were, um, highly, you know, highly segregated in, in the other direction, they were mostly white. Um, and doing fantastic <laughs> and, uh, very progressive and everybody's just, you know, having a great time. And, you know, it's like one thing to kind of read about it, um, uh, in the articles by, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, but it's another thing to like go and like witness it. Um, so that was the second one I wrote. And then the third one to kind of really get to your question, finally, um, the third one was about anger. Um, and kind of my experience of getting angry, um, with Rafi when, when, you know, he turned three and became like a real handful, um, which also happened to be, uh, right as Ilya was born. So like a lot of Rafi's misbehavior, um, intersected with the moment of Ilya's maximum vulnerability. Um, and it was just, that was just a tough time. Um, and, and, uh, you know, in terms of the kind of gender aspect of it, like I, you know, obviously, and, and, uh, various mothers have written about this mothers, moms get mad too, right? It's not just dads. Um, but there is a kind of particular quality to like a father's anger. I think both, um, 
you know, both like within the, within the family and also from the perspective of like a little kid. Um, you know, I don't know if it's scarier necessarily, like, you know, they're both scary in different ways, but, um, you know, kind of sort of like my wrestling with that anger felt to me, um, like something that I was really writing about from a, from a father's perspective um and that would be a different story from a mother's perspective i think Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Big box retailers, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a bill in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, visit handsoffmyrewards.com and tell them to oppose credit card routing legislation paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. reservations about writing about fatherly anger because it seems to me that in some ways in the in the literature of parenting anger feels like the the third rail and in particular like (laughs) uh dad anger like occupies a certain kind of um maybe outsized role as like an as a negative thing um And I was, I just wanted to hear you talk about deciding to get into it. And in a really, in a really sort of honest, forthright way about what it felt like to be discovering that part of your parenthood involved being really angry sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you know, so the, you know, like part of what I found so, I have found so interesting about parenting is that it's, it really kind of challenges your conception of yourself. Right. And, um, it's also, you know, for me, so I was 40 when Rafi was born. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty late even by New York standards. Um, and I had kind of like settled a lot of questions for myself about, you know, like kind of who I was and, how I lived my life and kind of what I prioritized in my life. Um, and then, you know, this kid shows up and you really need to kind of decide those things all over again. So, this is, so it's this, you know, it's this constant kind of interrogation, like, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing for him? Is it the right thing for us, his parents, is the right thing for me, his dad. Um, and then there's this kind of challenge to your self-conception. Um, I, you know, I, you know, now like kind of looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I've always been a kind of a angry person. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I don't know. I thought I was like a patient person. Um, at least, and a nice person, you know, um, you know, the, the like level of fury that Rafi was able to summon and well, actually, let me go back a second. Like, so yeah, I thought, I thought I was a nice person and I very much, when I kind of, when I thought about what I would be like as a dad, um, I very much imagined, uh, like cool dad right? Like playful dad, Um, which I think, you know, which is kind of the, you know, like that's like the dad of TV commercials, right? (laughs) Uh, Dad, you know, dad, wrestling dad on the bed, you know, which we did, we, I did plenty of wrestling on the bed (laughs) with Rappy, but like, um, yeah, that was my self-image as a, 
as a you know future parent when I thought of what I would be like as a dad. Um, that's what I thought, and you know, but in in practice, in my experience, that's that wasn't what I was like. And I found that yeah, Rafi could make me so mad, um, and it was it was scary to me. It was scary to him. Um, scary to Emily, and. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough year. So I, and, you know, and I, and I started, you know, the essays about that, but also like, I'm, I'm you know, I started reading all this kind of advice literature, um, which was not something I had ever done. I'd never, you know, um, uh, that was not like a section of the bookstore that I <laughs> uh, spent a lot of time in. Um, and but here I was with this like situation where I was getting mad at my kid and I didn't like it and he didn't like it and his mom didn't like it and um I had to I really wanted to stop. Um and so you know, so I read a book where, you know, from this behaviorist named Kasdan who said, you know, the thing to do is, you know, your kid misbehaves and you just ignore it because every time you get mad, it just reinforces it. And I thought, that's great. That's a great idea. Like that's, and, and this book was written in this kind of very um, somewhat, somewhat chiding, but like very scientific way. And he's like, you know, animal studies have proved that timeouts you know, <laughs> work in a particular way. And um, so, you know, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. That's the uh, new, new dad, new Keith dad is a behaviorist. And, you know, and then I tried to do it and I found I, like, I just couldn't hack it. Like I couldn't ignore, like Rafi would like escalate. I, I would like ignore one thing and he'd be like, oh yeah, <laughs> ignore this, you know? And he would, you know, throw a shoe at me or something. Um, or, or he would do this thing that I, I, some, I just found it so infuriating because it like pushed several buttons at once. It was, he would, uh, you know, Ilya was, was really little and um, he would, drink milk whether it would be like uh ex expressed uh breast milk or just you know uh, whole milk um out of a out of a, this like squeezy little bottle and and Rafi would pick up this little so you so you could you know so it would it was squeezy so like it was it could squeeze it so that the milk would come out and um Rafi just loved like if it was just like sitting around somewhere in the living room he loved picking it up and just like spraying it everywhere and and I was like, that is a, you know, that is a waste of milk. <laughs> um, and also you're getting milk all over the rug. You know, it was just like so upsetting on so many levels. And like, he would do that and I would just scream at him. Um, and, you know, now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, it was very tempting because it was like, a, like a little proto gun, you know, that could like shoot milk. <laughs> I can see why Rafi was tempted by it. But at the time I found it infuriating um so yeah so like the behaviorist stuff i gave up i couldn't do it and then you know i read this um you know from this kind of different tradition of like listening to your kid uh, there's this famous book called how to listen how to talk to your how to like how to listen so your kids will talk and how to talk so your kids will listen i think that's it or maybe it's reversed anyway but that one is about um you know, saying like, why are why are you you know why are you behaving like this? Like, tell me your the underlying emotion, right? Um, and then the kid talks about his emotions, and then like they feel better and they stop doing it. Um, and you know, Rafi just that he wasn't interested in that. <laughs> and I and I and again, I was not good at it. Like I I couldn't really sell it to him. Um, this kind of empathetic, like new empathetic dad um like i i didn't do a good job uh you know kind of following those instructions and rafi was not really a receptive audience um so that didn't work either and um you know and finally i read this book that was like descriptive um by these uh, researchers from like kind of like 50s and 60s though the books kept being written and published um named uh, Ames and Ilg and they had this uh um actually they were actually they were women uh 
scientists who had, had been very influential um, in their time. Um, so, so they, uh, they had this um, research center where they um, just watched kids and observed them. And, um, you know, they had like a pretty, um, you know, somewhat rigid, but very helpful kind of theory of like development. And, and they were like, here's what, a, you know, a, a, a three-year-old does. Here's what a three-and-a-half-year-old does. You know, and here's what a four-year-old does. And um, those things were so close to what Rafi was doing. And they just had these like really charming, um, but, but, you know, very specific descriptions of these kids and the stuff they would say and the things that they thought about and, and how they were scared of loud noises. I, I found that very interesting. Um, so that book kind of, um, for me was the most helpful in terms of just like, just trying to get into Rafi's perspective a little bit and, um, kind of experience him a little bit more like this person who's going through a tough time rather than this little monster who refused to listen to me. Uh, and, but in terms of writing about it, it was just, it did like, like you say, like it's something, it's, uh, it's kind of a taboo subject. Um, and I do think we kind of go around, um, yeah, it's it's this it's this thing that's kind of not talked about very much, or I hadn't seen it um, talked about. Uh, it was something that kind of dads would talk about a little among themselves, um, and sometimes you would see it. <laughs> you would like see a dad lose his temper. You would see moms lose their tempers too. Um, but it really felt like I was like, "Wow, this has really not been described." Um, in as kind of specific and, you know, straightforward a way as I would like to describe it. Um, and it did, it did feel a little, like a little scary uh, to, to publish that essay. What felt important to you to get right? And about that, about like, you know, writing the experience of a, t a tough part of parenthood. And like, how did you, did you ask sort of other people in your family for like what they thought the important parts to get right were? Oh, um, I mean, not really. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that one was so much kind of my, you know, my experience of, you know, being angry and then, being, you know, feeling bad about being angry and trying to, figure out how it could be less angry. I mean, there wasn't, um, there wasn't really anybody I could consult with about that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I thought like, you know, the, 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 to me, the thing was just to be like maximally honest about it. Um, and, you know, and to a certain extent, everybody comes out looking not that great. Um, but me, I think, I hope, less great <laughs> than the, everybody else. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think for Emily, it was a little bit like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of this she got, but like she must have gotten some people being like, how can you live with this monster? You know? <laughs> um, and then like, you know, Rafi in the future, my, I, you know, I can see him reading that essay and being like, you know, you really make me sound like, um, a, you know, a jerk, right? Um, I hope we're like a toddler. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope. Yeah, I hope, like I hope he'll he'll take it in the spirit in which it was meant, which is like that he was, you know, just an energetic, you know, uh, creative guy. <laughs> um, yeah, and ultimately, you know, and I and I have like you know it, the the essay opens with these two instances where I like, I mean, one of them I like accident, like I kind of was trying to kind of like protect myself and, and uh, infant Ilya from Rafi, but I kind of like accidentally, you know, sort of pushed him in the forehead. Um, and he, you know, said, that hit me. Um, and that one was kind of ambiguous, but like one time I, I slapped, he was really messing with Ilya um, and like pulling on his head in a way that I found really scary. And I said, stop, stop, anyone stop. And I slapped him on the wrist. Um, 
which is, you know, like there's a, an expression, you know, <laughs> slapping someone on the wrist, which is considered like a mild punishment. A slap on the wrist is considered a mild punishment, but like I really slapped him um, and on the wrist. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he, uh, again, you know, said, ran to, to Emily and said, Dada hit me. Um, you know, and I found like that was, uh, scary to, you know, to kind of, to write that and admit it. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm in this, like, uh, it's not like, a somebody's going to call child services on me. Um, you know, it's not scary in that way. Like I'm going to lose my kids, but uh, you know, I think when you reveal, you know, um, stuff about yourself that's intimate and, and unflattering, that's, you know, like it's a little, a little scary. Yeah. To what end did you feel like you wanted to do that? I'm, I'm sort of like thinking back to where we started talking, which was about the cultural historical context of this book and that this is sort of an early new entry of a father into the the memoir side of parenting writing like mm-hmm. to, how did you imagine this risk that you were taking or this slightly scary thing that you were doing um like living in the world I mean, you know, I, uh, a part of it was just, um, I wanted, like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about this stuff. I couldn't stop talking about it to people. I would, you know, whatever I was like writing about at that time, I'm, you know, I, I found myself just like, monologuing <laughs> at people about it. Um, but each of these things felt to me like nobody's talking about this, right? Which, you know, in a way, like, it is this um, kind of fallacy, right? It's like this like enabling fallacy. Like you have to, obviously you have to think that to write anything, <laughs> right? Um, uh, but in this, you know, I... Um, I did earnestly feel that in this case, you know, I felt like, you know, even with, even with schools, right. Which is the, in a way that kind of most, um, you know, uh, you know, segregated schools, right. And, you know, who is responsible, who, you know, for that and, and, and what can you do as like an individual parent? Like, you know, that's a subject that's been written about a lot, um, And yet I hadn't seen, uh, you know, like, you know, and I hadn't seen like somebody describe it in the, in the way that I was seeing it, um, just kind of going school by school and, you know, not having a clear, um, way of doing the right thing, um, in that situation, uh, so i yeah i mean i you know i did imagine um just like getting this stuff out in the world and then um then people would talk to me about it that was my like it wasn't i wasn't like i hope to reach some dad out there you know and tell him he's not alone (laughs) um like that's great like i if that happens, I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, but it was more like, I really want to talk to people about it. How do I, how do I get them to like, talk to me about this stuff? Um, I will write it down and like publish it and then they'll read it and they'll like want to talk to me about it. That was, that was the, the real impulse. (laughs) (laughs) Did it work? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, here I am talking about it right now with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I have had, um, probably more conversations, um, about parenting in the last month, um, you know, or as many conversations about parenting in the last month as I've had 
you know, in the previous, you know, six years of Rafi's life. Is this something you want to keep writing about? Uh, not at the moment. Um, it's such a different thing. You know, most of this stuff was written, you know, the book's called like the first five years and, um, or the subtitle is Raising Rafi, you know, Raising Rafi, the first five years. Right. And, you know, actually kind of toward the end of the book, he's like actually turning six. It's, you got a bit of him as a six-year-old. Um, but so much of, but, but so much of it was written really when he was like three and four. Um, and at that time, it was really hard to, um, A, like imagine him having any opinions on this stuff uh, or perspective, right? Uh, it was very hard for him to articulate whatever his perspective was insofar as he had one. I mean, he, had, he certainly had a perspective on stuff, but like, so, so when he was little, it, it was, it really felt like I, or we, depending on the subject, that we were making all these decisions, right? Do we teach him Russian? Do I teach him Russian? Do we, you know, do we send him to Russian class? Um, do we, you know, push him to play sports? Um, do we make him do his homework during Zoom school during the pandemic? Um, which school do we sign him up for? Um, it was just like all these like decisions, and and every single one of them uh, turned out to engage like all these different aspects of my personality emily's personality um the history of schooling <laughs> in america um the history of you know segregated subsegregation in america um or the history of russia right why is this a country that like keeps going through this stuff and and you know why did we leave and having left um you know isn't like the better part of valor to, to 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 leave for good and and stop talking russian and just kind of put that behind us and my family um there were all these questions that we were deciding um and that rafi wasn't deciding um and that you know only we could articulate and that I tried to articulate in this book. Um, now it's just very different, you know. Like he really is. Like he, he just turned seven. He's very much his own person. Um, we still have a lot of you know input into his life and make a lot of decisions, um, but it's far less intense, you know. And like you can, you know, it's it's. Uh, or, or at least that aspect, like that aspect of, oh, do we do this? You know, like, do we steer him in this direction or that direction is far less intense um, because he, you know, he very much has his own idea about things and, um, you know, can articulate it very forcefully. Uh, I don't see, I don't see myself writing about it at least anytime soon. I think, you know, I, like, you know, even just like having the, the experience of, of Rafi reading the book, um, he hasn't read the whole book, but he just like looks at it once in a while. Um, it's lying around and like, he was curious, um, you know, and, and, you know, some, you know, like sometimes he's kind of intrigued by the whole thing. Um, other times he is mad because he feels like I violated his privacy. Um, and you know he had he uh, uh, had a, fun, a, a very funny comment um, the other day when um, he was looking at it, and uh, he said to Emily, "He said this shouldn't be called raising Rafi; it should be called all of Dada's thoughts," <laughs> <laughs> um, which I thought was very insightful. Um, I don't know, yeah. So just like having having Rafi as a as both as a reader. Um, and, and also kind of his, he can write stuff, um, if he feels like it, uh, it makes the whole thing, you know, it makes, makes me feel like 
Uh, it's not my job anymore. Thresholds is produced by Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshawood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Lorelai Grossman. Special thanks to Justin Alvarez and our hosts at LitHub Radio. You can find out more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website. This is thresholds.com. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform and you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you normally listen, and subscribe and review us there. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.